Thank you, Teresa. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the New Testament, to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 9. Since it's Easter Sunday, I thought we would take a one-week break from what we've been looking at in Galatians. We'll get back to Galatians, Lord willing, next week. But I thought we would um, look at a passage that uh, is an account of the resurrected Christ meeting one of the most um, renowned persecutors in all of church history. Acts chapter 9, we'll be reading verses 1 through 19. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. trust you see um, that this is an amazing passage of scripture. This is uh, the incredible account of the conversion of one of the greatest enemies of the first century Christian church. Some people might look at this as, as just uh, nothing more than biography. It's just 19 verses about a man named Saul. As I was sitting in my office earlier today, I looked over and I saw a book that I had read several years ago. It's a book titled simply Nixon. It's a, it's a biography by Stephen Ambrose on the life of Richard Nixon. And I thought to myself when I, when I saw that book, I thought to myself, you know, there's a lot of people who would read their Bibles this way. 
There's a lot of people who would read this story this way. That, that they would see the, the story of Saul's life as being very similar to a, a biography about Richard Nixon. If we are Christians, though, we, we cannot read this story this way. This is not merely a biography about some man named Saul. If we are Christians, there's, there's something much deeper here. This, this account of, of something that happened in history to a man named Saul is really a reminder of how the Lord has treated us. My prayer for us tonight is, is that each one of us would personally be reminded of God's grace and mercy that he has shown to us. I mean, if you think about this, you and I, by nature, were just as spiritually lost as Saul. You and I, by nature, were just as much God's enemies as Saul. Your conversion story and my conversion story may not be quite as dramatic as this. It may not be quite as dramatic as Saul on the road to Damascus, but God's grace to you and to me is just as amazing as the grace that he showed to this persecutor of Christians. And so we're going to look at this wonderful encounter between the resurrected Christ and a persecutor of the church. And we want to see four things tonight. First of all, we see Saul, the persecutor. Then we see Jesus, the resurrected. Then we see Saul, the believer. And then we see Saul, the evangelist. Saul, the persecutor. Jesus, the resurrected. Saul, the believer. And Saul, the evangelist. Children, who was Saul, and, and why was he so eager to imprison and kill Christians? Well, we know a number of things about Saul based on what he writes in the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 3, he, he says that he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. In other words, Saul was a full-blooded Jewish man. Secondly, he also viewed himself in Philippians as being blameless. That, that means that he considered himself to be a very diligent keeper of God's law. Very upstanding, very, very moral man. And, and third, he was a Pharisee. He was a very conservative, very strict Jew. Now, as we've been going through the Gospel of Matthew for the last, I don't know, year and a half, we have seen the Pharisees quite a bit. Uh, we've seen how opposed they were to the earthly ministry of Jesus. We have seen over and over and over how much they want to kill and destroy Jesus. And even after Jesus rose from the dead, and even after Jesus re uh, ascended into heaven, we, we know that they, they still were angry at Jesus and about his followers as well. They still wanted to destroy the church. They wanted to wipe the church off the face of the earth. And as a good Pharisee, Saul had this same goal. Do whatever I can to get rid of the followers of Jesus Christ. Do whatever I can to make sure no one a hundred years from now knows anything about the church of Jesus Christ. Now we're first introduced to Saul earlier in Acts, in Acts chapter 7. And so if you still have your Bibles open, go back to Acts chapter 7 for just a moment. And, and focus in on the end of that chapter. And as you're turning there, Stephen, a deacon in the early church, has just preached a, a powerful message about Christ. 
That's the first part of chapter 7. And when Stephen preaches this message, the people listening to him responded. Now, most preachers like it when people respond to their preaching, but they don't like it when people respond like this. Notice their response in verse 54. When they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. Stephen's message was that their ancestors had mistreated and persecuted and killed the Old Testament prophets and that they themselves had murdered the Messiah sent by God and they didn't want to hear that. It made them very angry. In fact, children, they're, they're, they're so angry that they take Stephen outside of the city and, and do you remember what they do? They stone him to death. What that means is they picked up rocks and boulders and threw them at him. It was a horrible way to die. Notice what verse 58 says. It says, then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And now notice the next part of verse 58. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. That's when we're first introduced to Saul. Saul was there that day. When Stephen was stoned to death, he saw the whole thing happen. And notice now how chapter 8 begins, and Saul approved of his execution. Saul gave two thumbs up to Stephen being stoned to death. Now look at chapter 8, verse 3. It says, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. That, that word that's translated ravaging is the same word that's used to refer to wild animals going through and destroying a vineyard. And so you can picture Saul as, as this wild animal kind of man. He's very angry, very enraged. He's going door to door looking for Christians. And when he finds Christians, he hauls them off to prison. Doing anything he can to destroy the church. Now you might wonder, well, why is that? Why, why did Saul have such an intense hatred for Christianity? Very simply, because he hated the message of Christianity. You might remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it says that the message of the gospel, the, the, the message of a crucified Savior is a stumbling block to the Jews. The, the Greek word there is scandalon. It's the, the word from which we get our English word scandal. The idea of a crucified Savior is a scandal. It's scandalous to the Jewish mind because remember what the Jews were doing. The Jews were looking for a Messiah who was powerful. The Jews were looking for a Messiah who would bring earthly glory, who would overthrow their enemies, who would bring justice for them, and who would set up a, a great rule on this earth and give a place of great honor to the Jewish people. The Messiah certainly wouldn't come and die like a vile criminal in the Jewish mind. And so to Paul, or to Saul, he's Saul right now, to Saul, Christianity cannot be squared with what he believes the Old Testament says about the Messiah. And therefore, Christianity must be stopped. We come to chapter 9 and Saul still hasn't given up. Verse 1 says that he's still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And, and now what he's doing is he's asking for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that he can go and track down Christians and again, haul them off to prison. Why Damascus? 
probably because Damascus was a very strategic location. Damascus was a a very centrally located city, and so what you had is you had a lot of people coming into Damascus and a lot of people going out of Damascus, and it was a very easy way to get the message of Christianity to spread because the message of Christianity would come into Damascus, other people would hear about it, they would leave Damascus, and it would go out again. And, And soon, Christianity would spread all over the known world. And so Saul is a smart man. Saul knows he needs to go to this strategic place, Damascus, to prevent Christianity from spreading any further. Now, as an aside, we we have to remember that God is not deterred by any of this. God's not, you know, anxiously looking down from heaven, fearful that, oh no, this is going to be the end of the church. What's going to happen? Psalm 2 says, he who sits in the heavens laughs. No one's going to stop the progress of the gospel. Saul's not going to stop the progress of the gospel. No one in our day is going to stop the progress of the gospel. Name your politician. Name your earthly leader. It doesn't matter. No one's going to stop the spread of the gospel. But Saul thinks he's doing the right thing. Saul thinks he's serving God when in reality he's not. And so he's going about his business, he's, he's on his way to Damascus, and suddenly this bright light flashes around him. Now children, you know how bright the sun is. We're going to start getting warmer weather here, it's going to be more sunny days, and you've heard your parents say to you before, don't look at the sun, don't look at the sun. You ruin your eyes, don't look at the sun. I tried to do a little research this past week on the brightness of the sun, and I read a couple of articles that talked about things like um, luminous efficacy and lumens per watt and, and radiant flux. I had no idea what they're talking about. Let's just say the sun is really, really bright. Don't look at the sun. But the brightness of the sun is, is, is nothing compared to the, the, the blinding brilliance of the glory of Jesus Christ. And that's what this is here. This, this isn't lightning. This isn't ripping on a very clear day. This is Jesus. This is a light, verse 3 says, from heaven. This is the resurrected, glorious Jesus Christ. The same glory that John saw. Remember the call to worship this morning. John sees a vision of the glory of Christ and he says, I fell down like a dead man. That's what Saul sees here. And as he's laying on the ground, he hears a voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, who are you, Lord? And and you can imagine this, the very next words that Saul hears must have rocked him to his core. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now Saul was not a dummy. Saul was a brilliant man. Saul thought Jesus was dead. Saul had heard stories about how Jesus was risen, but Saul was, in his mind, too intelligent to believe any of that. By the way, isn't it interesting that that Jesus says, why, Saul, are you persecuting me? Is he really persecuting Jesus? Saul was actually persecuting Christians, but but when Jesus says this, it's as if he's saying, when you persecute my people, you are persecuting me. 
Remember this tonight. Remember that when you are mocked for your faith, when people laugh at you for being a Christian, when people say to you, oh, you're, you're narrow-minded, you're a bigot, when, when people mock you for your beliefs about Christianity, remember to whom you belong. Remember Jesus loves you so much that he says to those who would harass you and persecute you, when you persecute my child, you are persecuting me. And so Saul sees the glory of the resurrected Jesus. Imagine what that must have been like. And now we see thirdly, Saul the believer. This is, a, this is such a dramatic change of events. I don't know that any of us have had this, quite this conversion story in our lives, but this is amazing. One, one minute, Saul is breathing threats and murder against Christians, and the next minute, he's on the ground. One minute, he's, he's trying to arrest Christians, and the next minute, in a sense, Jesus has arrested Paul and brought him to his knees. And Christ powerfully and unmistakably brings Saul Wicked, persecuting Saul to faith in himself. This is a wonderful encouragement to us tonight. First of all, think of this in terms of your own life. You might look at your own life, and and I mentioned this this morning, um, you might look at your own life and you might despair over your sin. God would never save someone as bad as me. I've I've gone too far. I've been too evil, too wicked, too disobedient. If you have your Bible, turn it for just a moment to 1 Timothy chapter 1. You see, this this is how this account in Acts is different than Stephen Ambrose's book on Richard Nixon. This is just, in a sense, information. But as we study Saul's life and we think of Saul's life, we we then think of our own lives. And, And you might think, God could never save me. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1. Notice verse 12. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. Now this this is Saul. He's Paul now, but this is is the guy from Acts 9. He was a bad dude. He was a wicked persecutor of Christians. He says, I was a blasphemer, I was a persecutor, I was an insolent opponent. Do you know what the word insolent means? It means self-righteous, arrogant. Paul was a self-righteous, arrogant opponent of Christ and Christianity. Notice what Paul says next. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Overflowing grace to the chief of sinners. Notice verse 16. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, 
as the foremost, the foremost of sinners, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. See that? The, the, the mercy that Paul received is an example to us. It's an example of the patience of Christ for us. And, and so Christian, when, when you wonder at times, could God really save me? When you question at times, if, have I been so bad that I've fallen away forever from him? Remember this man. Remember Paul. More importantly, remember the, the mercy, the grace, and the patience the Lord showed to this great persecutor of the church. That's our message for this community, isn't it? Our message for this community is not we're better than you, be like us. Our message is that Jesus came for sinners like us. And there's hope for you, fellow sinner, when you come to Christ. But think of Saul in terms of your own life and, and be reminded tonight of the grace and mercy you have been shown. But secondly, think of this, think of Saul's life and his conversion in terms of the lives of other people. That son or that daughter of yours, that grandchild of yours who has walked away from the faith, that child who has turned away from what you taught them when they were in your home, they are not beyond the grace of God. That friend who who seems so hardened to the gospel is not beyond the grace of God. That coworker with a foul mouth, that coworker who regularly mocks Christianity is not beyond the grace of God. Whoever would have thought that Saul would be a Christian? Whoever would have thought that God would take this man, this is a guy who hated the church, wanted to destroy the church, and use him to write more books in the Bible than anyone else. It's amazing. And God hasn't changed. He continues to do these miraculous works of grace and mercy all throughout the world today, and he can still do it in the life of your loved one. In the lives of other people. Well, one final thing, and that is what we see here is Saul the evangelist. We are, we are introduced to a man at this point by the name of Ananias. This is not the Ananias of Ananias and Sapphira fame. That Ananias is already dead at this point. This is a different Ananias. God comes to Ananias in a vision, and he says to Ananias, Ananias, I want you to go over to Judas's house on Straight Street, by the way, Straight Street apparently still exists today, one of the, the longest existing streets in the world. Go to Straight Street, and when you get to Judas's house, I want you to ask for a man named Saul. He's, he's praying to me right now, and I'm given, I've given him a vision that you're going to come to him, and you're going to lay his hands on him so that he can see again. Remember, Saul is blind at this point. He can't see anything. Now try to put yourself in Ananias' shoes. God comes to you, 
And, and he says, there's this person in the Central Valley who hates Christianity. He hates Christians. He's doing anything he can to, to get Christianity outlawed. He's trying to get all these laws passed that will devastate the church He mocks Christianity regularly. He hates it, hates everything about it. He wants to throw you and your people into prison. But I want you to go pay him a visit. He's become a follower of mine. It'd be really hard, I would think, to go visit a guy who was such an enemy of the church. If he said to you, I want you to go visit Gavin Newsom. Gavin Newsom's Morals, maybe not our morals. What would you think? How would you respond to that? That's why Ananias says, um, Lord, I've heard about this guy. I've heard that he's trouble. I've, I've heard that he's causing all kinds of problems for your people. Are you sure you got the right guy? Notice what God says in verse 15. Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. This is just another example that God chooses people we would never expect. God uses unlikely candidates. He uses people and means and methods that make us scratch our heads so that he gets all the glory. And and as hard as it must have been for Ananias, he obeys God. He goes over to Straight Street. He goes to Judas' house. He asks for Saul. He meets with the man who wanted to kill Christians. And I love verse 17. He goes to Saul. See what he calls Saul? Brother. Brother Saul. God sent me here to be a blessing to you. He sent me here so that you may regain your sight, so that you may be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and immediately there's like something like scales that fall off of Saul's eyes. It's a picture, isn't it, that, that as this man has now regained his physical sight, so finally for the first time in his life he has spiritual sight. He can see spiritually. For many years, Saul was an opponent of God. He was blind to his sin. He was blind to his need for a savior. He was blind to what God was doing in the church. But the spiritual scales have fallen off. The Holy Spirit has caused Saul to see. And Saul now follows the one whose church he had tried to destroy. That's what he's done for me. That's what he's done for you. He's given us spiritual sight. He's given us spiritual life. Paul is now, or Saul is now baptized. He's commissioned to, to take the good news of Jesus into the world. Now, we didn't read this part, but if you drop down to verse 20, Saul, Saul's not the kind of guy who just sits around, right? He, he does what he was supposed to do. He, he doesn't waste any time. It says in verse 20, immediately, immediately, He goes into the synagogues and he starts preaching that Jesus is the Messiah. And it doesn't take long before verse 16 is is fulfilled. God says in verse 16, I'm going to show Saul how much he must suffer for me. And so Saul immediately goes to the synagogues. He starts preaching. And look at verse 23. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. He's now a marked man. 
but he's a changed man. He's a new man. He has new hopes and new loves and new affections and a new purpose in life. It's no longer to destroy the church. It's now to preach Christ. An amazing, amazing account of God changing this man's life. And as we close tonight, again, first of all, we should never cease to be amazed at God's grace to each one of us. I, I said this at the beginning, but, but my, my conversion story is, is not anywhere as exciting as Saul's. And, and I would guess probably yours isn't either. But my conversion story is no less remarkable than that of Saul. I was spiritually dead. I was the enemy of God. I had no interest in following Jesus. But God arrested me. He gave me spiritual life. He gave me the gift of faith that I might believe in Jesus. Christian, this is, this is not just a biography. This is your story. This is your story. Never lose sight of the wonder of God's grace to you. Secondly, though, we, we also must remember that we too have been called to be Christ's witnesses in this world. Now, there was a uniqueness about Saul's ministry. Uh, Saul was a, a very unique figure in church history, but you and I have the same Holy Spirit. You and I have the same calling, in a sense, to be prophets, to be those who speak the word of God into this world. We're called to be living sacrifices before others that, that they might see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. We don't just come here and, and gather and hear a sermon and then that's it. We, we gather in a sense to then scatter. We, we gather then to go about our various callings and in this room, there are many callings in this room. But we go about our various callings wherever we are at in life to be examples, to be promoters of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have to do this like Saul with the understanding that we will suffer. There will be people who don't like it. There will be people who don't want to hear it. But it is the only message that will bring true, lasting hope as we saw this morning from Psalm 16. And so I leave you again with the reminder that this is no mere biography. This is our story. This is what God has done for every one of us here tonight who name the name of Christ. May we leave here joyfully. May we leave here with the, the utmost of thankfulness that like Saul, we were taken off the road of Damascus, the broad road that leads to destruction. We were plucked from the fire, as it were, and we were saved. God gets all the glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for placing this account in your word for us and for all of your people 
down through the years to read. Lord, it is a wonderful account. It's an account that reminds us that the greatest missionary the church has ever known was once an opponent, a hater, a persecutor of the church. And yet you sovereignly, powerfully brought him to his knees and brought him to saving faith in Christ. Lord, we thank you that you used this man, that you used him to write all of these books of the New Testament that we may learn and benefit from. But we thank you as well that we can be reminded tonight that this is our story. That's who we were by nature. And you have done a wonderful work in each of our lives. And so on this Easter Sunday, as we celebrate the resurrected Christ, we rejoice that you have given us life. Help us now, Lord, to be your witnesses in this world, to bring glory and honor to you, trusting that you will lead us, that you will be with us, and that you will give us the word.